It has been very recently, I had the privilege of having a meal with the two Mikes and with Brother Dwayne, and I asked him when he was leaving to go up north, and so we found out that he was going to be here this Sunday, and I said, well, we it's been some time since we've had the Lord's Supper, we'll have the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to do that. And as a result of that conversation, my message changed for this morning. We're not going to be in the book of Numbers. I know that you were excited about what Balaam is going to do and how Balak is going to re- and all of that. We will get to it. There's, if there's not time, that's okay. If we, there is time, we'll do it. But would you this morning turn in your Bibles to the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. The 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. This is truly a chapter in the Old Testament that lends itself so much to the service that the Lord ordained at the close of His earthly ministry when he partook of the Passover for the last time and said, this now is null and void. And he instituted what we know as the Lord's Supper. And that he said to us, and we'll read that later, he said, as oft as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. It's not to be show, it's not show, it's a remembrance. But... Here in the 53rd chapter, we have all of that is to be remembered when we come to that time, or every day of our life, it should be. The great prophet Isaiah, he left us, God left us through Isaiah, a wonderful book, the entire prophecy of Isaiah. And I've said this before with regard to the prophets of old, if you are a believer, If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, if God has given you the new birth, if if you love God and you love his word, then this is the guy in the time that you'd want to go hear because he is getting a message from God. He's not just plabbering. He has a message of the Lord. The Lord has given him this message to write. And much of it is not very pleasant for Israel. And he brings that out here in the first verse of Isaiah chapter 53 Who hath believed our report? Who hath believed our report? Who hath believed the report that God has been giving to the world, to the children of Israel from the very beginning? Who has believed what God had to say? And we might say, well, what are you talking about? Who's believed that God has absolutely created the heavens and the earth without any help? that no one was there to counsel him. Who hath believed the report that God created it exactly like he said he would, and he did it in exactly seven days? Now, I've had people who say they are believers in Christ Jesus, says God just got it started, and then he kind of turned it over, or God, those seven days, they just mean eons. They could be eons of time. I have a tree in my yard that nothing grows under it. Why? Why? Because it's shady. (laughs) 
And I'll tell you, if we have an eon of light and we have an eon of night, there's nothing going to be growing on this earth. So who hath believed the report it was created in seven days or six days and on the seventh day God rested? It makes a big difference what you feel and believe about what God has said about his word. And he says, who hath believed our report? Who believed the report of Noah? And why was Noah necessarily in an ark? Why did God command an ark to be made? Why did Noah build that ark? And why were there only eight souls saved out of all the thousands and thousands that were no doubt on the earth at the time? God sent a great flood to destroy this world. Why? Because of great sin he did that. Who hath believed the report? Oh, there was just a few floods around. And I'm about up to here on the Missoula flood. (laughs) You know, everybody has all these kinds of conjectures, but it's answered by one thing. Now, there's no doubt been great floods. Uh, There's some people in in the southwest about now, going to get about two and a half times the moisture that they average. That's going to be a lot. There's going to be some lot of flooding going on at that time. But the flood that happened in the day that we read about in Noah, what covered this entire earth and so deep. Now, it may not have been when Mount Everest was there. This world is in constant change. But everything was covered and everybody outside of that Ark was drowned, and there were eight souls saved out of that. 600 years of preaching, eight souls were saved. All right? Who hath believed our report? We just go down through time. The the thing that we find that the Isaiah is talking about, who's believed the report about Christ? Who's believed the report about the Lord Jesus Christ? Whose son is he? Is he Joseph's son, or is he the son of God? Is he a man, or is he God? Well, the mystery is that he is the God-man. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, right off, in this verse of Scripture, he shares two things. People by nature don't believe the report, and and number two, if you do believe the report, it had to be revealed to you. It's not something that we come along and believe on our own. We don't learn it from our Sunday school teachers. We don't learn it from the preacher. He is responsible for declaring the report. The Sunday school teachers are responsible for declaring the report, but the report to be revealed is only a mystery. And that revelation comes by God alone, and no one can reveal it unto us. We can't understand God's report unless the Holy Spirit has revealed God unto us, the Lord Jesus Christ unto us. Now we go down through here and we find some things out about the Savior, about the Lord Jesus Christ. For he hath grown up before him as a tender plant. You know, the Lord shares with us here, as we read the scriptures, that he is going to send his son into this world. God, the heavenly father, is going to send his co-equal, co-omnipotent, co-glorious son into this world to do a ministry that mankind is not able to do on their own. Isaiah is a witness to the total depravity of man because he admits it about himself. Woe is me, woe is me, he says. I'm undone. 
And then the Lord delivers him from that undoneness and gives him glory in Christ Jesus. He raised him from the spiritual dead. He lifted him out of position he was in by nature. He is in the horrible pit in the miry clay and he's been lifted out and set up on the solid rock and established his goings and put a song in his heart. And part of that song is, I have to declare a message. God said, who will go for me? Who will declare the report? Isaiah earlier on says, Here am I, send me, and go preach. How long do I preach? As long as I tell you to preach, but I want you to be warned, nobody is going to listen to you. Boy, we got a serious problem. And then he answers it. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he hath grown up before him as a tender plant and out his root out of dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know, this is quite evident during his own personal ministry. When the Lord is upon the earth, he had a gathering as long as he did what the gathering wanted him to do. As long as he provided food for them, as long as he healed their sick, as long as he did this, he had a gathering. And then when he started preaching the gospel, 5,000 men left him at one time. We don't want this. We want your bread. We want your healing. But we don't want the serious stuff, the gospel. We just cannot handle that. Well, it certainly reveals unto us that even though the word belief is used with regard to them, that they did not believe the report. They did not believe what God had said about his son, that his mission to come to this world was to, as we're going to read down through here, was lay down his life a ransom for many. That's his goal. That's his purpose. And nothing was going to withhold him from doing that. He is showing as he goes through his life and all the miracles that he performed and all of the people that he raised from the dead and all the the food that he fed, that did not change one person's heart. It didn't change their lives. It didn't change their heart. It filled their bellies. It made them feel better, but it did not change their heart. And this act is an act of God to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. He is despised and rejected of men. You would think... You would think that this one would not have that kind of reaction. That this one that came down from heaven for the deliverance and salvation of his people, that he would not be, what does it say, despised and rejected of men. You know, I've said this before, but it's becoming much more apparent as I age that when Jesus Christ came down to this earth, he was walking in a literal cemetery of people dead in trespasses and sin. Now, he's the only one that could look around us. He's the only one that could see the heart. He only only one that could see who was there. He's the only one that could say, as Judas would visit with him and say, oh, Lord, I love you so much. I love you so much. He knew what was in his heart. And when the disciples, the 11 disciples said, is it I, is it I? He could look at them and say, they are faithful brethren. They are faithful followers of me, even though they'll despise me and refuse me and walk away. Surely, verse 4, surely he hath bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. You know, for years I felt that way. 
In religion, we feel that way. It wasn't necessary for him to do all that. I can do part of it on myself. And that's why we get works involved in our salvation. We try to do good things. We make them count up. We say, my good works outweigh my bad works, and therefore I will have some position before God. Oh, yeah, he had to come for a few things, but not everything. You know, when he reveals himself, we find out he had to come for everything. There was nothing left out. There was nothing left to us. There was nothing left to chance. There was nothing left. He was not waiting for someone to turn aside and look upon him because he's the one that turns us. That's what the scriptures say. Turn me and I shall be turned. He makes us willing in the day of his power. He's the one that has control over the kings and all the riches of the world and the cattle on a thousand hills. Believe his report? Do you believe his report? That's what he said. He is a sovereign king of all things. He rules and reigns. He is in absolute control. And he said, all of this is happening as prescribed by the covenant of grace. I came down to this world and I shared with them myself and they had no care for me. And then he said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Now, we, we could have cared less in our religious state. We could have cared less. But there was no interest when God, before he saves us, we, we, he was wounded for my transgression. Well, there was a few things that probably God needed to take care of, but most of it I could take care of. My Sunday school teacher said, all I have to ask is Jesus to forgive my sins and he'll take care of it. Oh, my goodness. That is separated and apart from him having to go to the cross, though, because I can take care of that by just confessing. Confess your sins to God and he'll take care of it. My goodness, we don't even know what they are in reality until they've been revealed to us. And then we find out it is a monstrous case. It is an overwhelming case. It is sin to the heart, to the core, that there's nothing good in us. That's what God had to say about natural man. He said, there's not one that comes and seeks after me. There's not one that's looking for me. There's not one that cares about me. And yet it tells us that there was one that came and he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Who hath believed our report? <laughs> Who's believed the report about this kind of catastrophic thing in natural man? Who has believed the report that there's this kind of serious problem with natural man? And who's believed the report that it takes the absolute sovereign king of all things, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come in the flesh, to be born in the flesh, to come the God-man, Emmanuel, to come and take care of the problem? Well, those who had the arm of the Lord revealed unto them re realized that it is absolutely essential to have this new birth or we'll not see him, not see his glory, not see what he has done for us. Yeah, he took care of a few things. No, I've had preachers say to me, if I'd have been there, I wouldn't have let it happen. We were there. We did let it happen, and now we rejoice that it happened because that's the way God is going to take care of the sin problem for his people. The death of Christ to take care of a problem 
death in the garden is taken care of by death of the Savior, the Lord Jesus. He was wounded. In verse 6, all we like sheep. Yesterday we read part of that passage over there in the book of Matthew that talks about that great day when the Lord shall gather all peoples and he shall separate the sheep from the goats as a shepherd does divide his sheep from the goats. There's a difference. They may look the same when they're young. You know, there's some passages in Scripture talking about tares. If you read about tares, when they're small growing up, they almost they look identical to wheat. But it is when they put on their fruit that you can tell the difference. Well, goats and sheep may look an awful lot alike when they're born. But as they mature, you find that there's a difference. And the shepherd knows the difference. And he will divide the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on the right-hand side. Now, he said here, all we like sheep have gone astray. We find out in the report. Now, we can believe the report or we cannot believe the report. But if it's revealed to us, we believe the report. We find out that God has some sheep. We find out that God determined to save some sheep. We find out that the sheep's names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. We find out that there was a shepherd called the Great Shepherd, the Chief Shepherd, the Everlasting Shepherd. We know him as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, he has relationship to the sheep. A lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And he has some sheep. Now, at times he calls them Jacob's and Esau's. Isaac's and Ishmael's. He has names for them, goats and sheep. But you know what? When it came to those sheep, he was particularly interested in them because he was going to lay down his life a ransom for them. Now, it is absolutely not the report. There's nothing in the report about this. There's nothing in the report about this that Jesus Christ's blood was shed, and all the sins were paid for for those who go into the lake of fire. There's no report on that. There's nothing in the Word of God that says that he paid for everybody's sins, and there's some that he paid for that are not going to be in heaven. There's no report on that. Now, people may believe that, but they haven't believed the report. The report says, I lay my life down for the sheep. The report says, I'm the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. The report is, all we like sheep have gone astray. But the world will say, Jesus Christ's blood is not sufficient. He is a failure. And he has allowed people that he died for to be on the left-hand side. Well, that's not true. He's not a failure. He's an absolute success. And he saved all the people that he had in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. We have turned everyone to his own way. The sheep, before God saves us, is you know, there's not a wit's but an outside difference between sheep and goats. Not a wit. Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Our heart is away from God. We have not believed the report. We could care less. We're always involved in some religion. We have those things that we count on. We count on everything else except Jesus Christ, blood, and righteousness. We count on our own works. But when God brings us the gospel 
and God reveals his son in us, then the report means something when we find out that God intended to interfere in our life from before the foundation of the world. He's going to interfere with us. He said someday, just like he did with Saul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus' life was interfered with. He had great plans to go down there and make some more notoriety as a religionist and capture some of the people that believe the report. And he went down to Damascus with the idea of capturing some more people that believe the report. You know what they believed? Jesus Christ came, laid down his life, a ransom for many, went to the grave. He died, went to the grave, and they would declare he rose again. You know, Brother Mike read in there in the book of Acts chapter 2 this morning, I keep seeing things I've never seen. Do you ever have that happen to you? In that verse, it said, it is, for it was not possible that he could be holding to it. He, it was not possible that he would remain in the grave. I said, well, it's not possible that he could be a sinner, and it's not possible that he became sin, a sinner or could, be a, could sin. It's not possible. It's not possible that he could be holding to the grave. And those saints were declaring that. He is raised from the dead. He is at the right hand of the Father. And old Saul of Tarsus is so put out over that that he's going out doing his religious duty and arresting them and having him brought before the same people that Jesus was brought before and they would send out for their execution. We've laid on him. He hath laid. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of all the sheep. He was oppressed, verse 7, and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. It's interesting there before Pilate. They say, are, you, are you the Messiah? Are you the king? Are you? Thou sayest. He kept his mouth shut. You know what he was doing? He was fasting. He was fasting. He opened not his mouth. That Pilate said, don't you know I can do to you what I intend to do? And he said, Lord said, you couldn't do anything except we've given you. Who's in charge here? It's been determined before the foundation of the world that this one, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God, born of a virgin, laid in a manger, raised up, and at 30 years of age began his public ministry with the idea of setting his face as a flint towards Jerusalem to lay down his life, a ransom. Now, what's that word ransom mean? It means payment. He's going to pay for their sins. How is he going to do that? The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Brother Mike mentioned about that imputed what God did in a miraculous way was to gather all the sins of all his people out of all time past those present at that time. And we know that there was one present at that time. He's the thief on, on the right-hand side. <laughs> He's the thief that Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. And all the sins of his people on this side of the cross, he was able to take them all as one great big bulk and impute them to his son. Now, how he did that is beyond my ability to believe or to think, but it is the report. 
He took sins of people not yet born. He took people sins who had been in the grave for a thousand years. He took people sins who was present that day and God was able to impute them. What does it say? To put them, laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shears was dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. You know, there's a passage of scripture that Jesus spoke from the cross that fulfills this verse of scripture. He was taken from prison. Now that means he was taken out of where he had been placed. Now if I owe a debt, and we don't so much have debtor's prisons anymore, but they used to be all around us. If you got into debt and couldn't pay, they just put you in prison. Now that seems like an illogical thing to do. They won't even let you get a job. But anyway, someone came by and paid your debt. You were given a piece of paper on it. You carried it around. And people will say, uh, aren't you supposed to be in jail? Well, here, read this. And at the bottom was the Greek word that we find the Lord Jesus Christ spoke from the cross. It is finished. My debt has been paid. I'm out free because it's paid. We have a contract. The church has a contract. And at the bottom of the contract, it is finished. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ spoke from the cross. It is finished. After those three hours of suffering on the cross, having our sins imputed to him, placed upon him, as it goes on to tell us here, he was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he is cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And then... In verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. No, this is God Almighty dealing with the sins of God's people in his Son. And his Son is the absolute and only substitute. And he has been imputed all the sins of all of his people for all time. And he is going to take care of them in such a way that they will not be found again. They will be as far as the east is from the west. Another type of language that the Bible uses, they shall be buried in the deepest sea. Another type of Bible language about it, I put them in my forgetfulness. God is never, ever going to bring them up again. He will not challenge us with them again. In fact, we find the Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to write in the book of Romans, who shall lay anything to the charge? And that means, who shall bring up any sin against those that Jesus Christ died for? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Oh, religion will bring this up. You go to a dance, you're going to have to answer for that. You drink this, you're going to have to answer for that. You go there, you're going to have to answer for that. You go do this. You know, half my life I was scared to death. I didn't go there, but if I did. I didn't drink that, but what if I did? And then I found out 
that the Lord God Almighty, when he saves us, changes our want to. We don't have to have laws about it. The Holy Spirit is our guide. And then we find out that he's taken care of it for time and for eternity, and he is able to say to all those on the right hand, Blessed are you, mine, welcome to the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And you know what in that line, figuratively, metaphorically, however you want to look at it, is everyone. And when they get into glory, every chair is filled. And every trumpet is handed out. However, you know, there's so much said, I can't imagine what it's going to be like. But I know this, we'll spend eternity praising the one who still carries the wounds for our redemption. Yet it pleased the Lord, verse 10, and bruised him, and he hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. That statement is almost like that giant Sitka spruce that used to be out on the coast. I told someone the other day, I think it was before we had Tim, we were over there, and it took, my whole entire family could not reach around that Sitka spruce. It was so big. We tried, just couldn't, couldn't quite reach the other person. And that verse of Scripture is like that. I just can't, he, what does it say? It made his soul an offering for sin. His life was given as an offering for sin. Voluntarily, his life was given as an offering for sin. We go to the covenant of grace, we find out that he was with great joy. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. God said here in verse 11, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. God shall see the travail of his son's soul and he shall be satisfied. How can he be just and justifier? God is going to be just. The soul that sinneth, it must die. Sin must be paid for. There is no way out. Sin must be paid for. And yet we find out God can be just and justifier by imputing all our sin to a substitute. And he did. And now he's satisfied. He's satisfied. Oh, I still sin. Yes, we do. We will sin till the very last day, very last moment we breathe. We will sin. But the knowledge that God has put that sin upon the Savior. Oh, people say, well, that just gives people a license of sin. Not if you're saved, it doesn't. Oh, people say, well, if I believe that, I, I'd go do it. Well, you know, you're going to go do it anyway. <laughs> That's not going to stop you. But the grace of God, how merciful it is that God would restrain his people, the love of Christ constrains us. 
He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. What's that mean? They shall be justified. They shall have no sin. It shall be paid for. Oh, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. How great and how plain it is. What's that mean? He took care of it all. What does it mean? He said it's finished. What does it mean? He laid down his life, a ransom. He paid for it in full. He is the absolute savior of his people. Jonah was right. (laughs) From the great fish's belly, he said, salvation is of the Lord. You know, it causes me to rejoice when I hear about all that he's done on my behalf, that I will not answer for one thing before God, that he has taken care of it all. He has revealed his son in me, and this is what he does for every one of his children. He does that. Now, we're going to have a picture of that. He left us a picture. He never said there is efficaciousness in the wine or the bread. There is absolutely no saving quality whatsoever in them. Your sins are not forgiven by taking this. Sins are forgiven by the blood of Christ. Sins are taken by the blood of Christ and nothing else. It's not by this. It's not by the waters of baptism. It is only His blood and righteousness that takes care of us. So the question goes out. Who hath believed our report? Who's believed the report? Who's believed the report? I have a very good friend who pastors a church, and his daughter mentioned to him one time, Dad, you don't think I'm saved, do you? And he said, No, I don't. Well, that might be a little harsh, wouldn't it? Would that be a little harsh to say? And she says, Well, how do you know that? And he said two things. Number one, you've never been a sinner. Now, we may have committed a sin, but when it really becomes reality, we're a sinner before God. (coughs) Sin before Him in Adam, sin before Him in our actual life, and and all of that. Sin by nature, practice, and choice. (coughs) And he said, number two, you don't believe the report. She said, what report? Yes. You don't believe the report. (coughs) She had already told him that she was doing things to be saved. Well, you don't believe the report then. The report is, it's all been taken care of. The report is, salvation's of the Lord. Report is, he's the one that saves. Report is, he's the Savior. Report is, there's a God in heaven that took care of this before the foundation of the world. We're just living it out. And the report is that everyone that has this salvation shall be in heaven in glory. And those who do not have this salvation will not be with him in heaven in glory. Jacob, Esau, born of the same family, same parents, same love given to them, same food, same raiment, same everything. And God said, before they were born, 
before they had done any good or evil, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Now, I like what that old preacher said. He said it in a much better way than I could. He could understand completely why God would hate Esau. But he cannot understand the grace that God could love Jacob. That God would love Jacob's sinners who placed that load of sin on the Savior. With that, we're going to adjourn to take the Lord's Supper. It is a picture. It's a type. It's a shadow. They had many types, shadows, and pictures in the Old Testament. We have two. We have the Lord's Supper. We have baptism. Not ask us to do any more. Baptism, if you're saved when you're baptized, then you only have to do it once. I had to be baptized twice because I had made a profession of faith, went down in the water, came up the same the Lord saved me, and then I was baptized. <laughs> Lord's Supper, he said, as oft as you do it. As oft as you do it. What's that mean? I'm going to save you once. But you're going to be in remembrance of me many times. All right. Brother Mike and Brother Mike, if you'll come at this time.